Today on Unleashed Cast, Ali talks to Lorna Fitz-Simons. She's the co-founder of The Pipeline. They have a really fascinating conversation about, about how far there is to go to get true equity parity in the boardrooms. It's not all plain sailing, this conversation. It does tell it very much like it is and the work that needs to be done. But do listen to the whole conversation as towards the end, Lorna details the companies that are doing well and the things that other businesses can do. It's an important discussion on a topic which isn't as far along as it should be. So please sit back and enjoy Ali's conversation with former MP and now co-founder of The Pipeline, Lorna Fitzsimons. Welcome to Unleash Cast. My name is Ali Navra. I am the senior journalist here at Unleash, and I'm delighted to be joined by Lorna Fitzsimons, co-founder of The Pipeline, which is a diversity consultancy based here in the UK. Hi, Lorna. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pleased it's kind of getting towards the end of the day, um, but it's been a productive one over here at Unleash HQ. So I wondered if you could start by giving us a bit of an overview into the pipeline. I know you guys have been around since around 2013, 10 years ago. What motivated you to create the consultancy? What did you kind of set out to achieve? So Margaret Donner, my business partner, and I have had mercurial careers uh, in politics, in business, advertising, foreign affairs, you know, global, uh, etc. And we were firmly of the view that gender balanced teams drive the highest performance of any organization. And we've worked in uh, government, in the third sector and the corporate world throughout our careers. And 12 years ago, it Alice Thompson in the Times wrote an article saying we'd lost 40% of corporate executives uh, in the UK market in the last 10 years. And it was at the time that Vince Cable, who was the business secretary in the UK at the time, uh, and Lord uh, Mervyn Davis, who many globally will know, who's a serial both investor and chair, uh, especially in financial services. Uh, and also in the House of Lords, decided that they would focus on the composition of the boards, the PLC boards. Mm-hmm. Um, and Margaret and I uh, know both of them and were very glad that they had decided to focus on the issue of female representation in the corporate world. But we very much thought that they've got the focus wrong and it should be on the executive committees, those people who run the organisation. Okay, and so in 2013, we uh, we set up, we decided that it was so important to the economy that companies optimised their performance that therefore we should see whether we could show companies how to do this. Uh, so we set up trying uh, set up trying to develop. Uh, tools to do this in 2013. And lo and behold, 10 years later, we've got 10 years of evidence. And we we changed the retention rate uh, in companies because, as you know, there has been uh, the trend has not changed in terms of senior women leading leaving executive life because talented women have got options these days. Um, we've got an even greater competition for the female talent that is out there. So retention has got even harder. And then the coming workforce, because of the shrinking birth rate across the world, apart from in one or two continents, means that actually it's the, the, the coming labour market and the women within it are getting a smaller and smaller and smaller group. So the competition is only increasing if you want to have gender balanced teams. Yeah. 
Amazing. So obviously you talked about you've got this 10 years of evidence around, you know, what companies can do to have that increased retention rate. I know, so the main piece of evidence I believe you have is from this women's count. I wondered if you could talk about what that is, you know, what's the aim for, how do you collect that data? How are you proving to companies that having, you know, a gender diverse or a diverse in general workplace is good, you know, good for their business bottom lines? Yeah. Well, I'll start actually just before women count and why we decided to do women count. As I told you, Margaret's and I's learnt experience was that gender balanced teams outperform non gender balance teams. And we came across some evidence from MIT's Institute for Collective Intelligence. Okay, that's MIT's Institute for Collective Intelligence. And over the last 25 years, they've been trying to discover what are the highest performing constructs of people. So is it an individual? Is it a team? Well, of course, it's a team. And then what construct of a team? And in 25 years, they have never, ever found a construct of a all-male or an all-female team that outperforms a gender-balanced team. There is no construct, no matter how diverse you make that all-male or all-female team that outperforms a gender-balanced team with ethnicity within, okay? Wow. Um, And it's not what function the women have. It's not what their qualifications are. It's the fact that they are women. And it means that what we do is we level up collective intelligence by having women and men in the room together. And they come up with longer term sustainable better sustainable results okay and so we have always predicated what we do that is our business case but then we decided we needed to count it because if you don't measure it if you don't work out where you are you know and then look at progress you you don't know where you're going so we thought that the FTSE 350 in the UK is probably one of the globally most well known sort of barometers of business. Mm-hmm. And we thought it's big enough as a sample size to be credible as a barometer because it has many global organizations listed like HSBC, for example, you know, Anglo-American, you name it, that, you know, there's many global companies that are actually listed for lots of reasons on the FTSE 350. And so we also called it Women Count after the very, very historic national census where Emily Pankhurst hid in the House of Commons to say that the house, it was her house where she, therefore, Women Count. Yeah. Um, And so every year we've been doing it for the past seven years. And every year we have discovered that those companies that have got more women on their exco than those with none have greater uh, net profit. Okay. And every year it increases and increases. To the point where this year, if every company in the FTSE that doesn't have 50% women on their executive committee did Mm. and performed to the same level, of course, it's a crude calculation, but it's as good as any. So if they all had 50% on and they performed at the the level that those that have 50% plus on now, it's worth £900 million per company per year in uh, pre-tax profits and a whopping £77.4 billion to the UK economy, which is more than 2.5% of GDP, more than, more than our whole annual schools budget, more than policing and defence. So this is not small fry. This is not immaterial. And so, so if we go to the numbers, because what we do is we count how many women are on the executive committee, what their role is and what the value is. 
So we've already discerned that those companies with more women on have greater net profit margin. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we look at, therefore, the composition and that we look at it for two reasons. We look at it just for the numbers of women and men on it. So we can look at profit because it doesn't matter what the role of the woman is. She brings value, as we've determined by MIT's research. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so out of the executive committee member places, only 26% are held by women. Only 26%. And most of those are held by women in functional roles. Now, as I said, it doesn't matter the role the woman holds because she has that beneficial impact of leveling up the collective intelligence on the team she's in. So you will still get your net profit gain, even if you women are in HR or marketing or things that aren't considered profit and loss. Yeah. Okay. But if you look at the feeder roles to be in chief executive, they are well and truly leaky, if not broken. So we only currently have 12 female chief executives in the whole of the FTSE 350. So a whopping 96% of the chief executives are men. And this is where we were two years ago. Mm. We only have 16.1% of the profit and loss roles held by women, which is where we were five years ago. And we only have 18% of the CFO roles held by women, which is only 1% more than last year. And given the fact that in the UK and actually mostly in the Western world, women now are qualifying with more accountancy qualifications than men, there is absolutely and utterly no reason for this. Why do you think that there's still an issue around those feeder roles? Because I think in the report, if I remember correctly, it kind of talks about how having a female CEO really does, as you said, all, all women create a difference, but having a female CEO in particular makes, you know, an exponential difference around diversity in general. So why is there an issue around these feeder roles, do you think? Uh, because people are not choosing to appoint women, um, but it's deeper than that. So if we, if we go into that, you know, these companies, the FTSE 350 companies on the whole, recruit at the entry point 50-50 men and women. So there are women in the workforce. Yeah. Girls have better qualifications leaving school than men across the world, and certainly in the Western Hemisphere, okay, and certainly in, in the UK. More women have degrees across the world. 60% of the global degrees are held by women, okay? So women are in the workforce. They are better qualified, okay? And only in America and the UK, only 40% of working women have children at home between 0 and 18. Only 40% of working women have children at home between 0 and 18. So it's not because we're not in the workforce, it's not because we're not qualified, and it's not because of our caring responsibilities, okay? Mm -hmm. The reason why we're not being promoted is because people are choosing not to promote us. It is really simple. So if you look at our research, you know, if you have a female chief executive, she has more female members on our executive committee. She has more women in profit and loss roles, and she has more women as executive directors. So sitting on the actual PLC board. So it shows it can be done. And if you have a female chief executive, it is done. Yeah, definitely. It's 
it's it's so it's just so demoralizing that it's that simple but it's still not happening i do wonder if there's any obviously as you said a lot of this is very disappointing it's not really changing it's not really changed since the pandemic if anything there's been a lot of talk about how the pandemic has kind of made the split between women and men kind of worse women have obviously taken on more caregiving responsibilities not necessarily to do with children but to do with elder relatives etc cetera, etc cetera. i wondered if there is anything in this seventh report the 2022 report that in any way gave you reason for optimism i quite frankly no actually what it says is that we're busy in a hamster wheel mm. and what you know if you take the fact that certainly in the united kingdom yeah, we have got the most constricted labour market in our economic history. Uh, we have 3.3 million less workers in the UK than we did before COVID. Some of it is Brexit exit. Some of it is restricted work visas. Some of it is higher than normal retirement because of COVID. And some of it is because of uh, falling birth rates. OK, and then you've got the fact that more women are retiring early out of that proportion of early retirements. Then you've got the fact that the coming workforce, okay, the research shows in the Girls' Day School Trust report a couple of weeks ago that girls both in the state school sector in the UK and the uh, independent school sector between 9 and 18 want to have really impactful careers, want to make a difference, but look up, don't see any role models. If it looks like that, not interested. And so we are playing not with just one hand behind our back, because we're not promoting the women we've got, we're promoting, we're playing with another hand behind our back because actually the coming workforce look up and say, that's not for me. No, thanks. So if we think it's hard now, it's going to get even harder if we don't address this. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just not the one. It's just that is that is that has actually shocked me, to be honest, about kind of particularly around the early retirement. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. We've been doing a few bits about kind of people having to re-enter the workforce, but less about kind of people taking early retirement. Why do you think that women are kind of leading leading the way on that? Well, um, it's the retention issue. If you can't see a way up and it's too hard to actually think that, you know, you're going to struggle through and you can see some light and you will end up on the executive committee, you will end up as chief executive, you will. There, women have choices now. So women aren't going retiring, they're going plural, they're setting up their own enterprises, they're working for themselves. So the rate of women becoming entrepreneurs goes through the roof. But a couple of years ago, UBS appointed a new DNI expert that reported directly to the chair and the chief executive. And they had had about 600 women in, in a period of time before she started uh, leave. And they all thought that it was because these women were going to spend more time with their families. Um, okay. She was a very, very smart woman. And so she did the research and there was only like 2% that had actually gone to spend more time with their families. Everybody else had gone to a better paid job with a competitor. And so women have choices. And if we can't see a way through, and if we don't see a purpose that replicates our own purpose, that a company isn't being led, uh, their behaviours aren't the same as that purpose, and we are not being invested in, then we leave. Okay? So the big issue at the moment is the purpose of the organisation, the behaviours of the leadership, and their investment strategy against individuals that are having to swim against the tide, i.e. women and ethnic minority candidates. And actually for women, the third most important thing, sadly, is pay. Mm. 
We are more driven by purpose. And that's why notoriously we're paid less because we negotiate like what we need rather than what the market says and et cetera, et cetera. And we go for jobs we're interested in. Now, this is all the 80-20 rule, but we have got thousands of alumni. So, uh, and if you speak to any headhunter or any serial HRD, they will, you know, say that there is, you know, the propensity for a woman to negotiate and really go to the death in terms of salary is notoriously less than her male counterpart. Um, and so if organizations want to keep women or attract women, they've got to work on those top three things, the purpose, uh, the behavior of the leadership and the investment strategies uh, in people to swim against the systemic tide that clearly doesn't promote women with equal qualifications and experience to their male counterparts. So in terms of that kind of investment side, what are you seeing these companies that are doing, you know, actually leading the way? What are they investing in? What is their what is their priority there? So, I mean, some of the best examples like globally, it was BHB when Andrew McKinsey made the pledge to the global aggregates and mining market that he would have 50-50 male and female at every level from entry up to the Exco by 2025, including their mines. The campaign was led by men. It was led by him. He didn't delegate it. He set targets. He measured it. Um, the role models were men. They did sponsorship at the top. They invested from the top down. Uh, they understood the need for uh, muscular career management, for feedback. Um, and when uh, their three, uh, three of their minds eventually became 50-50, the men in those minds then led the uh, flexible working campaigns in those minds. And they're the three most profitable and safest minds, or they were the last time we talked to the organization. And then you've got organizations like uh, Dunhelm in the UK, sells tea towels, you know, uh, or kitchenware and, you know, home DIY, st you know, stuff. You know, there's a low, low, low margin. They have serially been one of the best performers in the FTSE in terms of the numbers of women on their executive committee. Uh, because even though retail over indexes in the number of women working in retail, it never over indexes on women leading retail. You know, another good example is the water industry that aren't in the listed community, but in the UK, for example, they eventually got to three female chief executives and they literally virtually overnight tripled the pool of eligible candidates to become chief executive. Because with three women executives, they then increased the number of women on their exco. They increased the number of women doing profit and loss roles. And then they increased the number of executive directors that were women. And so they went from three female chief executives in the industry to six overnight. OK, and it's the biggest industry cluster in heavy engineering that exists in the UK. So it shows it can be done even in the most unusual environments. If you lead from the top, if you walk the talk, if you invest against it, and it means that you you are you're not going to have enough money in virtually any industry to outstrip inflation in terms of pay rises. You really, un unless you're in an unusual industry. But what you can do is invest in your people. And what Glassdoor, in, you know, has got some really stunning intel shows that actually that investment in your people matters to them more than pay. Now, that is probably at the middle bunch rather than at the entry level where, you know, cost of living is so acute, not just in the UK, but, you know, across the world. But it shows that there are some things that don't cost money that you can do, which are about your purpose and your behaviours. 
But there are where you prioritize spend, you have to prioritize spend in investing in the individuals to develop them so that they understand you're acting against your purpose. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place to end on, to be honest, Lorna. Um, we write a lot about that at Unleash about, especially with the great resignation, the people want to work for companies that have values that share their values. They want to have a career. They want to have a meaning to what they spend, you know, most of their lives doing is not just going to work and coming back. You want to, you want to feel like it means something. So I think, I think ending on purpose and ending on, you know, it's not all about pay rises. Sometimes it's other forms of investment. Ali, in the end, it's also what we do about it. Yes. So we're not victims here. Okay. We have choices and we could do stuff. So who are we playing this forward to? So your community of listeners have power. They have power because they have budgets. They have power because they can nominate. They have power because they, you know, so, you know, go to our website, look at our programs, bring us into your organizations, nominate women for our programs, uh, be a good advocate for others. Uh, um, okay. Because in the end, as Margaret Mead said, you know, the one of the world's most historically uh, significant anthropologists. Okay. She said, it only take it only takes a small number of like-minded citizens to change the world. Indeed, that's the only way it ever has. So although we don't have all the power, we do have power, and therefore let's use what power we have. A hundred percent. I love that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lorna. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And and thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you.